Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your host today, Paige Niedringhouse, and we are joined by our panelist, TJ Vantol. Hey, everybody. And our special guest today is Nirmalia Ghosh. And Nirmalia, I apologize in advance, but please say your name the correct way and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. I think Nirmalia is the correct pronunciation. And uh, yes, happy to be here. I'll start by introducing a little bit about myself. I have been working in the DevRel team at a company called Rapid API. I work in the Senior Developer Programs Engineer and my job is to build all the code examples, build API stuff, build all the cool API stuff. I say cool because it's not actually related to the actual product, but I bridge the gap between developers who want to use the product and the developers who are building it. So bridging the gap between the code and the community. I also build a lot of interactive components, which helps visually understand what the API does or how you can integrate certain kinds of things with Rapid API. In short, Rapid API is like the GitHub for APIs, where a lot of APIs are available and you can search for any type of APIs. Like you want to visit a place, so you can search for hotel. You want to watch a match, you can search for APIs related to football and stuff like that. So my job is to look at those APIs and create integrations with various technologies like for example, React, Next.js, Vue uh, on the front-end side. On the back-end side, it can be like Ruby on Rails, Python, Dan Tango, etc. So that's my day job. And when I'm not working, I am generally trying to contribute to open source projects. I have a few open source projects, which I try to maintain. But you know, like it becomes sort of difficult sometimes. And when I'm not working at all, when I'm not coding basically, I try to play football as much as possible. And that's about me. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood. I've been talking to a whole bunch of people that want to update their resume and find a better job. And I figure, well, why not just share my resume? So you, if you go to topendevs.com slash resume, enter your name and email address, then you'll get a copy of the resume that I use, that I've used through freelancing, through my, most of my career, as I've kind of refined it and tweaked it to get me the jobs that I want. Uh, like I said, topendevs.com slash resume will get you that. And uh, you can just kind of use the formatting. It comes in Word and Pages formats, and you can just fill it in from there. Sounds like you've got a pretty full plate. <laughs> yep. So I'm I'm curious. I definitely want to talk more about the APIs and the kind of stuff that you're building now. But the uh, the first thing that we actually asked you to come onto the show to talk about was something that I think a lot of developers have struggled with or have encountered, which is migrating a, a large code base to a new platform, like bringing it into React, bringing it into Next. And it seems like, or it sounds like you have actually gone through this process. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about how it was for you and some of the advice, tips, tricks, pitfalls you encountered along the way. Definitely. That is like one of the most important or most challenging projects that I have done in my professional career. And the code base that I started working on was a monolithic Ruby on Rails application, which has like small, small React applications, client-side React applications split throughout. I'm talking about 2015, 2016-ish kind of space where React just came out and we wanted to try out this thing instead of jQuery, which we all like. But like <laughs> when React came out, we sort of wanted to experiment with it. But 
what we found out is that it's very difficult to make everything work together. Like, for example, there was no Redux, or Redux was not that much popular at that point of time. So when you want to make the sidebar, which is a React application, work with the navbar or the content area, which are different React applications, it becomes very difficult to connect. And micro frontends or stuff like those things were not that popular during that time. Or like they were there, but it was very difficult to make them work together. So I sort of took up the project along with my whole team that we wanted to take that monolithic Ruby on Rails application and split it into two parts. One, the backend would be on Ruby on Rails, but it would only give you the APIs that are necessary. And on the front end, we <laughs> sort of fought over a lot of frameworks. For example, we thought about Angular, we thought about a lot of other things, but mm-hmm. eventually uh, decided to use Next.js because the whole team the development team at that point of time, which we had hired, were specializing in React. And it makes a lot of sense to use something which is popular. And thinking about now, I think I was one of the developers who wanted to use Create React app. But I think choosing Nexus was the right call, especially when you think about the stuff that has happened over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, I learned a lot of things like how you can write code, manage code and structure everything in a way which makes it possible to do that kind of migration you know like you are talking about you're talking about a live app you cannot stop the app you cannot say that i won't push upgrades or bug fixes and i would only work on this new shiny stuff it doesn't work like that the business the product managers will never uh, let you do that so like when i was Thinking about doing this kind of migration, I try to research a lot, like how other companies or companies which has like big applications are trying to do this sort of migration. It doesn't have to be React specific, but it has to be like splitting the monolith into a front end and back end. And what I figured out during my research time is that it is possible. It is hard, but you have to do it in chunks. You cannot do the whole thing at once. You cannot say that. I would pause everything for one month or two months. I mean, two months is a synonym. It generally takes like years, to be honest. (laughs) But you cannot say say that I'll stop pushing upgrades for two months and work on only on this thing. And we are not even 100% sure if this is going to get into production, which is a different call altogether, (laughs) right? Because a lot of projects start, but they never get into production. Mm. And what we decided during that point is, start with the path of less friction. So take the part which we don't have a lot of visitors. So we took Mm -hmm. one page where we noticed that we were getting probably like 100 or a couple of hundred visitors in a span of one month. And we decided to take that and build a Nexus application only for that page. And when we started working on it, we figured that it's not easy, very painful because if you take your whole team and start doing that project, there will be a lot of like, like people will be uh, stepping on each other's toes and mm-hmm. it's not going to get forward. So we built a very small team, like four developers. One person will be responsible for the backend bits and the three person will be responsible for doing the frontend stuff. Because we were splitting a monolithic application, we have to understand that the backend also needs to make modifications, not only about frontend. So what we did is so we started that page and wrote an Nexus application. And after a few weeks, you know, like the initial time is always hard for the first page. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying around like 
couple of weeks for a little bit more than that we got that page working but on development and we had no idea how to make that page work on production right because yeah. you know like you have to think about authentication authorization it's not like mm-hmm. a marketing page which anyone can use it's a page under the cover of authentication right so then <laughs> then we thought about how we can do certain things which will help us right so i mean this is like kind of a buggy way of doing it or not the ideal way but what we did is like we performed the login or the authentication via the rails application and whenever you visit that particular page which we revamped if certain cookie was enabled based on a feature toggle then yeah. you would redirect the user to that nexus application now you have to understand like we were not using bootstrap like mm-hmm. the existing application was using bootstrap but you know like we were getting into the stage where design systems was the first right and yeah. we wanted to try out so many things but eventually use something like and design because we didn't want to invest more time into developing mm-hmm. components we wanted something that is already there and we wanted to just take the components and make it work so we started working with that and it worked really well for us because uh, when you, when you look at it like after a few months when a lot of developers started developing pages and started migrating in this way like sort of cookie based or feature flag based approach mm-hmm. initially we were taking around like one sprint its sprint comprises of two weeks to deliver a single page mm-hmm. with obviously a few complicated logic like tables filters and stuff whereas we were able to complete after the migration in a like three to four days and wow. like when you think about like 20 developers it is a lot of time save a lot of bandwidth save and mm-hmm. the development experience was really good like for example when you're working with a monolithic application which is all good but for front end developers you really don't want to work with jquery html and that kind of yeah <laughs> uh, it also had coffee script but the thing is what i'm trying to say is after we did this migration there were a lot of pitfalls at the start but it started becoming smooth and it became even smoother when we integrated typescript into that project like like i wanted to use typescript because people are talking about typescript on twitter <laughs> and i just wanted to try it out and i wanted to try out on a big application because i was uh, stuck on small small applications and they were working fine and yeah. the reasons that i wanted to use typescript was because i wanted to have uh, type safety and mm-hmm. autocomplete like i was i am a very lazy developer and i don't want <laughs> to like write long long things together i just wanted typescript to autocomplete and listen the amount of bugs like you know like when you have a big application and a lot of developers copy paste happens right, right. it is something that you cannot predict and you cannot prevent and using something like typescript really helped me in that way right? i mean like typescript was the first point where i realized that okay we are improving like there was no metric as such you cannot really measure any metric like how is your development experience so what we measured is the time taken to de- deliver a project and the developer happiness like is the developer happy with the work is the developer happy with the feature that they have built and the number of issues that we are getting we'll talk about it like how we reduce the number of issues using storybook react action library and stuff but mm-hmm. do you have any questions so far yeah so one thing i'm sort of wondering about you 
you're migrating from like Rails to Next. How did I mean maybe I didn't quite grasp this, but how did the two coexist? Because Next is very much kind of wants to control absolutely everything, right? <laughs> like so like my brain is having trouble processing. The idea of migrating in chunks is amazing. Like I think that's definitely the right strategy. I'm just struggling to figure out how that's even possible with Next because it how just wants to own everything. Together and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just give you a little bit more context regarding that. So initially, we were using React inside the Rails application. Like we are using like not create React app, like client side React, like how you okay. do right now in Code Sandbox. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like you call unpackage.com slash React and React DOM and you React DOM dot render and you start the application there. Yeah. So we had those things during that point of time. And when we decided on using Next.js, what we did is that we took a page and using Nginx and a few other things, which I didn't mention intentionally because right now it's not necessary. Uh, it's <laughs> easier to do that. But using those sort of things, what we did is that after the authentication is done, we redirect the user based on a feature toggle to either the Rails application or the Next.js application. Like those are running separate. Like you can think about it that when Rails application is running on a different port and the Nexus application is running on a different, I'm talking about yeah. development, but you can think about the same thing on production as well. Like the URLs can be different. Also, one thing that I would like to mention is that when you started working with Nexus, to run Nexus, you needed to have a server. So it's on production. I'm not talking about like SSG, SSR. I'm talking about mm-hmm. get initial props, that kind of state. So it was also difficult in certain way because we had used Docker because our app was a multi-tenant application. So mm. more complexity. <laughs> but that's how we made the existing Rails application work with the Nexus mm-hmm. application. Does that sort of make sense or do you want me to dive deeper? Yeah, no, I, I think that helps. It's just, I had a feeling there was some more complexity <laughs> to it yeah, because right. it's, yeah, it's uh, it's not the easiest beast to tackle. So, yeah, I mean, like we already had like five or six failed migrations before that. So we took the lessons learned from that oh, as well. Yeah. <laughs> Reruns are always the hardest. So one question that I had, because I, when I worked at my previous company, we did a similar migration from AngularJS to React. And one thing that we ended up having to do was take a lot of the logic that Angular held in the front end and create additional microservices that could serve up that information from the back end. So when you were kind of figuring out how to migrate your application, first, how did you decide which pieces to migrate and and when? And then second, did you have to do the same kind of thing where you created new backend services that kind of just could serve up the information to the React API or the React Next.js client? That's a really good question because that is one of the issues that we also had encountered. The reason why we didn't build any separate backend thing out of the ordinary thing. Like one job of the backend developer was to take the existing Ruby on Rails pages and spit out APIs from those things. But we didn't want to create anything out of the ordinary for the backend service because we wanted most of the logic to be on the front end. You have to understand like like in a real scenario when you want to do a migration, it always makes sense to push complexity to the backend. And that's where you also started. But when you think about a realistic scenario, you always have like failed projects of migration. So you can understand like the trust 
of the organization on this project being successful and not being a mess is not that high. So we also have to address that. We wanted to take the part which has the least friction. And like what you're talking about, that was also thought of. But we figured that if we want to do the back end, that has to be done before the front end starts working. So you can understand like it becomes like one month of extra work before the front end work starts. And that is something that no one was comfortable with, even though we wanted to because that would have made our life a lot easier. But people were really, really not that much sincere about doing something like that. So because of that reason and the other reason was our APIs, we had the plan that we wanted to expose our APIs so that any third-party application can consume the same APIs that we are using internally. Now, when you want to have something like that, there are two ways. Either push most of the logic or the business logic to the front end and let the back end be very simple, which was which is the part that we follow. The other thing was have two different set of APIs, one for the internal applications and one for the external ones. But those would take much longer and we didn't have enough bandwidth to something like that. And that is why we didn't follow that approach. So then are there are there any other pitfalls? Because uh, we went through migrating that, but I think there were a few others you were going to mention. Uh, there were actually quite a lot because... <laughs> When you think about like, okay, first thing is the organization bias is always there, right? Like if you want to build something, which is like the main product, like you want to revamp the main product, the product that keeps the company alive. And I'm talking about a small start. I'm not talking about like a big MNC. You always have the budget restriction. So you always have to think about like, how can I do the most amount of work in the least amount of developer time? I'm not talking about like months. I'm talking about developer time because that's the most cost that the company incurs, right? And the other thing was the company was, or the product was using Bootstrap. It was using Bootstrap 2, Bootstrap 3, Bootstrap 4, three versions of Bootstrap together. You know, like any application which has been there for around more than six, seven years yeah. has those kinds of things. And like when you move away from Bootstrap to and it's very difficult to make both of them work together and look together, look consistent. Mm-hmm. So that was another challenge which we faced. But how we tackled that sort of, we couldn't make it exactly. But what we did is initially under the feature flag, we made the ant work as much as possible with the granular settings. Right? We modified the brand color and a few mm-hmm. more spacing because ant at that point of time only exposed SAS. In the recent one, which they released a few months ago, they are now in CSS and JS. So it's not a problem right now. But that point of time, it was using CSS very mm-hmm. So we tried to modify the brand color. We modified the fonts and everything to make them look overall similar. And before we turned the feature toggle on for everyone, we took the bootstrap part and configured it or modified it to make it look similar to Ant because we knew that the bootstrap part was already messed up and it was not maintainable at that point of time. Hence the revamp. So what we did is that we, we wanted to add more mess to the existing stuff because we knew that we were going to throw that away and rewrite that with Ant Design in the next couple of months slash years based on the priority. So that was another challenge that we faced. The other challenge was uh, because we are working with a multi-tenant application, you have to understand like we cannot just like there is only one application, one front-end application and one back-end application to spits out the API. So we had to use Docker for that because we wanted to make it work on our development. 
seamlessly on staging and seamlessly on production. Like the same thing. Uh, although there were a few differences because how asset compilation worked in Next.js at that point of time was a little bit different than how it works. Right now, Next.js does everything. At that point of time, it wasn't the case. It was difficult. And the, a few other things uh, like on production, what I noticed is that this is something that developers who have done this sort of migration will know is that everything works fine on development. On production, the CSS doesn't load <laughs> or something gets yeah. messed up. Right. And yeah. I'm pretty sure most developers who have been working for a few years have faced something like that. And honestly, that was a bit difficult to debug because we all knew that everything is similar. Like on development, it's Docker. On staking, it's Docker. On production, it's Docker. So why is mm-hmm. it breaking? It turns out that someone had upgraded a package and the package <laughs> lock file was messed up. And oh. when you cleared that off, cleared the cache because Docker caches everything. When you clear yeah. those things off, then only it started working. So I'm talking about like, I wasted days on this, but <laughs> I getting the answer in a few seconds. But honestly, it's very difficult to debug when something like that happens. And people like front-end developers are always scared of removing package lock or e-unlock file and start all over again. Yeah. And adding a layer of Docker on top of that just makes debugging it that much worse. (laughs) Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together that I had just, I've been dying to have this for years and I never felt like I could. And then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club and we're going to read development focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're going to do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just, uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question and then we'll just ro- rotate people through. So we'll we'll mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on Gather Town. And so after the the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to Gather Town and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and and make friends and, and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup. And I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December. And um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next. I have one in mind, but I want to see where everybody's at. So there you go. It was difficult because, you know, like we had recently added Docker to our application during that point of time. And then we started working on this migration. So the Docker already had a few rough edges at that point of time. It was not very smooth. And, you know, like it cannot say that, okay, it has to be very smooth. And then we'll start on this migration in a normal startup or a middle 
like middle size startup that thing is something it never happens some upgrade <laughs> happens you start working on the next something gets messed up you fix that move on come back again mm-hmm. fix it move on it's like that right so i'm not sure how it works in big companies but i'm talking about a very small startup and it became imperative that we had to work with what we have and yep. there were frictions but we resolved them <laughs> so how long did you think it was going to take to do this migration and how long did it actually end up taking? Because in my personal experience, I think that we had budgeted for maybe three months. And when all was said and done, it took closer to three years kind of on and off. Okay. In our case, we had budgeted for around three months to six months. Why I'm saying three months to six months? Because uh, three months for only the four developers, the initial developers were working on it. And the rest of the three months for everyone, whole company to work on it. It mm-hmm. took around two and a half years. Yep, that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, but there were a few good things because after one year, Next.js became very popular and they started removing the uh, custom server that you have to run on production and it became very fast compared to the previous versions, it became very fast. And React was also doing a lot of things which helped us in improving the performance. And there were a few breaking changes. So you have to understand, like, those things also took quite a bit of time, even though not all the developers are working on it. But when someone makes changes, something always gets messed up. And that's where days are lost because of those things. And you have to fix those things because someone is blocked. And sometimes it happens only on production. Sometimes it happens only on staging. We all hate that when it doesn't, when it works on development, but doesn't on the other environment. But those things were there and we had to fix that. And at the end, like after almost like one and a half years, we sort of knew that this is the right approach because like the amount of time that we are saving and the code that we are writing, like everyone was able to understand the code that they were writing. Previously, it was like, I want to make this work and move on to the next project. Right now, it was like, okay, I have written this. How can I improve this? Because mm-hmm. we were saving a lot of days writing code and the code was, everything was in React and JavaScript. It was easier to reason, easier to debug. Server-side rendering was a bit tricky, but once you get the hang of it, it becomes very easy. Not very easy, it becomes easier. Uh, client-side rendering, debugging, that is always easier on production at least. But uh, when you don't have a lot of logging, okay, here comes logging. Initially, we didn't have logging on production. So when something goes wrong in a server-side environment like Next.js, it becomes very difficult to debug. But yeah. we sort of use technologies like Datadog and all where we got logs and tried to figure out how we can make it work, where the issue was happening. And mm-hmm. that was another issue that I was talking about earlier. Well, I will say for one thing, it sounds like you picked Next.js at around the right time because yeah. you, sh- you should have like got in on the investment front or something because they're they're taking <laughs> off. I, 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 actually, <laughs> I actually am curious, like as we're recording this, Next 13 was just announced like I think like a week or a few days ago. Have either of you been following along with any of that? Or are there any of the new features you're excited about or want to try out? I mean, yeah, it, it all sounds great. It sounds like, like we said, maybe before we started recording, there's a lot of breaking changes that Next.js 13 is bringing, but it's, it's, I mean, it also sounds like the React team has gone completely in on, on Next. You know, they've got the server rendered components, they've got suspense, they are integrating data 
all the concurrency stuff. I don't know. I honestly wonder how long Create React app is going to continue to be its own thing because it seems like the React core team is really betting big on Next, which is cool and also scary at the same time because they don't own Next. And (laughs) so it'll it'll be interesting to see. But I mean, I'm really interested in it. I'm just a little bit concerned about the path to upgrade because there are so many changes that are really big changes. Uh, to be honest, this is one of the picks that I wanted to discuss. But <laughs> since we're doing it right now, uh, yes, I'm very excited about Next.js 13, the new release. And like in Rapid API, we're building this platform of blobs, interactive documents. And my manager, Amit Awis, he gave a talk in that conference where he spoke at length about how we are developing things like this. So yeah, I'm very excited. And honestly, because like I always wanted to have a system or a framework or a library or anything like that. It's confusing, I know. But which sort of does the work for you and you don't have to understand. I mean, if you want, you can understand, but you don't have to understand everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. Like next year, if you want to understand how stocks are happening, you can understand. But like, for example, like when you are a senior, it makes a lot of sense for you to dig deeper into applications or frameworks to understand what's happening. But a company has uh, senior developers, middle developers, and junior developers. So a junior doesn't have to do everything. Next.js or React in particular has this new way of fetching data, which becomes very easy because when you are building Next.js and you want to sort of fetch data in the component, you cannot do that, right? It doesn't work. I mean, you can use use effect and all, but it's not the ideal approach. It's not a wrong approach, but not the ideal one. Like if you want to make a fast application or maintainable application, you sort of have to use like get static props or get initial props or get service mm-hmm. response or something like that. Whereas when you have something like this, like React use, something like that, it becomes very easy to reason about. It becomes very easy to help juniors understand like, okay, this is the way you fetch data. You don't have to worry about those three different functions, get server-side props, get static props, and those things. <laughs> and to be honest, like when I'm working with a framework, I don't want to remember those things. I mean, obviously, after you work with it for a few weeks, you always understand or remember those things. But I don't want to. I want to just write the main logic for the code and make it work. To fetch mm-hmm. data, it should be very seamless and very easy to reason about. And I think like the path is correct. Like React is going the correct path where it's sort of evolving from a library to a framework sort of thing where it's not only a view layer anymore, but it also thinks about how you can get the data, sort of manage the data with React context and those kind of things. And I really like this approach. I really like the part that it's doing and pretty excited about it. Yeah. What's your take on it, TJ? Have you been keeping up with all the announcements and debuts? I've been keeping up, but not so much of the features. I'm more just fascinated by the the fact that they're running like Apple style events with like and just the like the amount of money in it and the smooth video and the transitions. Like it's <laughs> it's it's kind of weird. Like we're entering a weird space in the front end world where there's like this venture capital money behind some of these frameworks. Remix was just bought by Shopify. Like mm-hmm. it's like I'm I'm sort of fascinated from that angle. And it gets it what you said, page two, with like the React team is like a core part of this. And it's like such a weird business aspect for like Meta, sort of this company that makes this framework for free, is partnering mm-hmm. with Next.js, this like VC backed thing with a hosting platform. I 
I'm just sort of curious where all that is is going. But at the moment, it's still like at the end of the day, my job as a developer to use, is to use really the best tool for the job. And I mean, we use Next for Paige and I use it all the time and we'll continue to use it. So I think they're heading technologically in the right direction. Yeah. But yeah, that's the thing that stuck out to me was just like the the craziness of how big and like well-produced their, their release announcements are. And I've, I've yet to get into like specific features. Uh, so that's why, that's kind of why I asked, right? I'm, I'm, I'm curious to check them out. Yeah, one, same. one thing that I'd like to mention here is that like people who have been working with React for a few years, they will remember that sort of similar issue was there with the license of React a few years ago. Yeah. Um, that also has been resolved. So I think that it's going in the right direction when you think about it, like for example, the framework called Astro, that is, which is a framework I really like, but that is also mm-hmm. backed by a company. The framework called Quick, which is a very new framework which spits out Node.js or whenever necessary. That is also, I think, uh, done by Builder. So that is also a company. I think that it's fine, like except Vue, uh, everything is backed by a company. It can be like small, it can be as big as Google, Facebook or stuff like that. But I think like right now, the environment is really good. Like if you're a task developer, you're already getting the shiny toys to work with. No, I agree. It's 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 open source. Like to, you know, to their credit, Next.js is still completely free to use. And you could argue that it is a more sustainable way of paying people to work on these these frameworks honestly so it's i'm not even arguing that it's a bad thing i'm just saying i'm just sort of fascinated by by how it's how it's all playing out Mm -hmm. yeah the vcs have gone from backing tech or i guess tech companies with a product to backing tech companies building the tools to build products (laughs) which seems like a good investment and i like that like you said it it supports open source it it makes it more sustainable and more stable and less of a chance that the open source maintainer will just burn out and have to get a day job to pay their bills. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's a good, a good move. We'll see how it turns out, I guess. All right, so we also definitely wanted to talk about Rapid API a little bit as well. So I want to make sure we have some time to get into it. And you 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 gave us a little bit of an intro to it already, just a quick way of using APIs. I am curious, like, what is the the business model there? Do you is it like something that's free to use? Like, if I just want to use APIs, can I use it? Do you charge? How does all that work? Okay, so coming to Rapid API, as I mentioned, it's like GitHub, but for APIs where we have a hub where a lot of APIs are already present and you can take those APIs and start building your application. You don't have to worry about building back-end part of your application. You can choose any front-end application and then start using it. Or if you want to use our APIs instead of one of your microservices, you can also do that. Like if you're only building a back-end application, but you don't want to, uh, like, build separate application for fetching away that data. You can sort of use one of our popular APIs from Rapid API Hub and use that to build your own application on the backend part of it. Your front end can work as it is. And we sort of provide, we sort of give the freedom to the developers that are hosting their API. Right? There are two parts to it. One is like a developer builds an API and then they list it or enlist that on the Rapid API Hub and they can Put restrictions like they can add pricing tiers to it. They can say like, okay, you can do like 200 API calls per day, 
But if you exceed 280 vehicles, then you have to pay this much amount of money per 180 vehicles. They can also have like a free tire, which we call premium. If you have like a premium part associated with it, like after you exceed 280 vehicles, then you will be charged. Some APIs are fully premium, where to use them, you have to sort of pay something or pay an amount to use the APIs. So it depends on the developer or the company who is giving access to the API or enlisting them on Rapid API Hub. And let's say you want to use that API to build your own stuff. So someone who has already hosted an API, you can search for it and you can find like, okay, this is this is the way that API I want to use. I don't want to invest my time, my company's time or my developer's time to build something like this from scratch. I want to use this API from Rapid API Hub. So you create an account, you subscribe to that API. And if it's a free API, you can just start using that. If it's a premium one, you sort of have to uh, like add your payment details to get that access to open with that API. So that's mm-hmm. how Rapid API works for connecting the API and getting the API data. But there are other parts to it. For example, when you are a developer and you want to host your API, you can sort of earn money based on how popular your API is, how many users are using your APIs, and how many API things are happening on your endpoints, right? And we sort of have built this kind of you know, infrastructure where we make everything very secure. We have like great limiting built in. We have a few other security, you know, like vulnerabilities testing and all those things inbuilt. We also have rapid API testing, which helps you test your API. So it's, we call it rapid API studio, where you can use our studio to build your APIs and then use that data in your application or let others consume that data. It's two ways. One is consumer, another one is provider. It sort of depends on what type of model you are looking for. And recently, we launched a VS Code extension, which is very helpful if you want to test your APIs or you want to generate types because the VS Code extension, which is called Rapid API VS Code extension, you sort of install that and you do an API call to any APIs. And whenever it returns a response, you can sort of check out the schema. You can also do GraphQL API calls. You can also, which is my favorite part, is get types from it. And being a friend-end developer who works with TypeScript throughout this whole day, it helps me a lot because you sort of, like, responses are always unknown. You, mm-hmm. you can never predict all the time how it's going to send the response or what response is it going to send. It can also train. So based on the response that your API returns, our VS Code extension generates types automatically based on the schema of the response. And you can save that schema or the types generated by the extension in your application and start referencing that. So that is one thing that I have been using for building my Nexus application, like Rapid API Guides is a Nexus application which we have built where we uh, write about API development stuff. Like for example, how can you use GraphQL? How can you use GraphQL in an application, how you can use REST APIs. And the not so popular in the startup environment, like SOAP APIs and other kinds of APIs, like async APIs. We also have covered those things because we wanted to be like the MDN for API documentation or API kind of stuff. We also have another platform, which is called Rapid API Learn, which is rapidapi.com slash learn, where if you go, we have curated like how you can how you can learn about GraphQL, how you can run about REST APIs. What the hell is a REST API? Like, what does it do? How can I use that? Because as a junior, as a beginner, you always hear about stuff like REST API, GraphQL API, API, but Mm -hmm. they don't have any clue 
we have all yeah. been in those shoes so we wanted to build something which hand holds you throughout that whole journey and helps you understand that this is an api this is how you do api calls this is a rest api this is the graphql this is the difference and if you're interested this is the soap api this is async because you know like even though we don't really use those last two like async api or soap api but it's always good to know about those things and what those things are and yeah. as a process my job there was to build out this cute little uh, markdown components or interactive markdown components where you can play with it and then you can just understand like okay you are doing an api call based on the click of a button that dot is going to the server and the server is returning some data which is showing inside the monitor or sorry so you know like it's not boring only about text and you just read it and then forget about it uh, it mm-hmm. sort of like gives you the illustration of how this kind of stuff actually works and uh, we also have rapid api courses where we work with like third party youtubers where they create courses using how they can use rapid api apis and build applications so it's rapidapi.com/courses cool yeah we sorry we also have one more thing which is rapid api comics if you haven't seen if you visit our twitter at twitter.com/rapid_api you can see like we have written a lot of comics which are illustrations to show how api works i think that is a really popular thing on twitter i'd urge you to check it out possibly yeah no in general i think the your idea here this the the company is a really is it, i think you're onto something because i work in developer relations and as such i build a lot of demo apps that need a lot of random apis and i can tell you from years of experience that it's the wild west if you just go on to a google search and go looking for an api because you'll find stuff but you'll find this api and you'll go okay what in the world is this does this even work because sometimes you'll find some api somebody built 5 years ago and isn't maintaining or it's like some flight status stuff but it's only like returning like historic flights not like you, you don't know if you can trust it you don't know how much it costs Uh, you don't, don't know if know it's if even it going to work. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So I like the idea of having a platform that kind of aggregates all of this, and it sounds like you have some really cool tooling and such around it. So yeah, I wish you the best because it sounds like a really good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And that is exactly how I came to know about Rapid API initially before I joined the company. I was trying to build something for my own blog. and uh, when i was searching for something rapid api popped up and that's when i came to know about like okay something like this is there maybe use the free tag to build certain things which i wanted to write tutorials about yeah i'm definitely going to check this out in the future when i need something like this but i mean we could talk to you all day because this has been really interesting and informative but i think that we should try and wrap it up and get into the pick section but before we do where can people find you online if they want to get in touch or learn more or just talk to you about you know their own migration issues or api needs <laughs> definitely so i i can be found at twitter.com/gosnirmalia so it's my surname before my first name sorry mm-hmm. it's github.com/gosnirmalia so my surname before my first name and on twitter mm-hmm. it's my first name underscore first name last name underscore and we'll make sure to put links in the the show yes. notes so <laughs> thank you i appreciate that because i you know like it's on twitter i just wanted to have like the same thing on github and everywhere but i couldn't find it and it's difficult when you have a name which is slightly difficult to pronounce we can relate <laughs> 
Have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are? I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I'd go to the meetups. I'd try and create other opportunities. And it was just really hard, right? The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month. And it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to, you know, talk about code a lot, right? I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it a, a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're going to have two workshops every week. One of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right, where you can get on, you can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, the rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. Well, we'll cover all of it. Okay. And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular, Vue, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes that's related, to, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current, keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash sign up and you can get in right now for $39. When we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The, the full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. All right, so we're going to move into the picks section of the show, and this is where our hosts and our guests talk about things that they think are cool. Could be movies, could be kitchen tools. We've done a lot of those lately. Could be good shows that you're watching or books that you're reading. So TJ, would you like to kick us off today? Sure. I'm going to pick an article that's titled Welcome to Hell, Elon on the Verge. <laughs> and I am uh, I'm neither pro Elon or anti Elon, but I'm sort of pro chaos because I'm super entertained by all of the craziness of him acquiring Twitter and all the drama afterwards. And this article is just it's sort somewhat of a comedic take on it, but it also like walks through some of the actual logistical problems that come with content moderation and all the stuff behind Twitter. So uh, it's written by a guy that used to be a copyright uh, lawyer, so he has some some background and some of the stuff that goes into that. So I check it out. If if nothing else, it's just an amusing read. If you're if you're as fascinated by all the the Twitter drama as I am. <laughs> Nice. That sounds good. I mean, I, I have been watching the Twitter drama from afar, and it seems to just be getting more dramatic. So that sounds definitely like a good one. <laughs> Normalia, would you like to give us a pick? I was thinking about next year's week, Astro, but we have been through that already. I mean, okay, let's talk about it anyways, a little bit more deeper into it. Because, you know, like with the release of next year's 30, uh, last week or a few days ago, it struck me that, okay, everything is working fine. And one framework is taking inspiration from other frameworks. And it's always nice to see that because it's not the first time that it's happening because Angular sort of created something 
React also had that. Vue also copied certain things from Angular. React also copied certain things from Vue and Angular. Angular also did the same thing. So it happens. Like it cannot be like everything is from scratch and everything is from new. And when I notice certain things, like okay, this is how it's happening. It's always a good thing because like for developers and for people who want to get into this kind of you know, system, like juniors or someone who is in college and wants to get into certain things like this, based on whatever is happening, it becomes very easy for them to understand, like, these are the topics that they need to understand because these are the popular ones. And I don't think, like, it's a bad thing to, like, take inspiration from other things because that's how designers design, that's how developers code. Like, we copy this stuff from Stack Overflow directly. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's always fine to do something like that. And what I sort of want to say is that whatever happens on Twitter, on LinkedIn, or on any other place, I think for developers, it's always a very nice thing because they sort of understand like this framework is like this, this framework is like this. You don't have to understand the differences, but if you want to like build something, you want to get a job, you can work with certain things, which is the most popular at that point of time. And if Dex just copies certain things from some other framework and other things copies from certain other things, it's it's always good for us because we get the shiny new things. And personally, I'm very excited about the layout, the new layouts, because mm-hmm. that was one thing which I really liked about Remix. I really liked about Spell. I really liked about Astro. It was one thing which was slightly difficult or needed more code in Next.js, but I'm very happy that it's there right now and I cannot wait to play with it. <laughs> Nice. That is a good one. And I agree with you. It's, it's, everybody copies everything from each other, especially the things that users and developers tend to really like. So it's not, it's just nice to have those things and have that familiarity, even if it's a new framework that you're starting with, you know, being able to kind of connect the dots from something that you know, to something that's new, I think is really a good experience for developers. So yeah, I say, you know, take, take all the good ideas from each framework and make the ultimate one from the next ultimate one from it. <laughs> I would definitely uh, build applications using that. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like praising the other framework. Like, okay, this thing was better in your system, but mine wasn't that great. So I copied it yeah. over. And it's always like giving like sort of praise to other people. Like, for example, if I like someone and I get inspiration from him or her, I want to be like that person. Like, it's, it's a good thing. Like, I am like inspired by that person. So it's always a nice thing. Yeah, agreed. All right. So my pick for this week is going to be a TV show that I have been binging lately. And that is Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So I've been on a Star Trek kick from Next Generation and then just forward and finally made it up to Strange New Worlds, which is one of their newest ones. And man, even the the jump in, in graphics and storytelling and everything from Enterprise, which was back in the early 2000s to now is just amazing, especially when you've been watching it and then immediately go forward in time. So if anybody is looking for a new sci-fi series and you have not checked out Star Trek, I would say do like I did and start from Next Generation, which is, you know, Patrick Stewart and one of the best actors in the Star Trek franchise by far. But Strange New Worlds is awesome. The acting is great. The the story is really good. And it was really a fun watch. So I'm looking forward to the next season that comes out. <laughs> Very fun. Yeah. 
Well, I think that that is all we have for this episode of React Roundup. So thank you for joining us, Nirmalia. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Happy to be here. It was great meeting and talking to both of you. And we will see everybody on the next episode. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.